Please turn your pew Bibles to page 1,891. 1,891, where we find our scripture reading for tonight. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of the a spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. There are uh, not many things, I think, that we remember from... Um, the speaker who spoke at our high school graduation. Not the valedictorian, but the, the one invited to come and speak. Um, there's one thing that I do remember from um, the speaker who came and spoke at my high school graduation. He talked about uh, how we interpret the things that happen to us life. And uh, basically he made this sort of Analogy, you know, it's um, it's ten percent. The percent sign goes on that side, doesn't it? Nope. Ten percent. What happens to us in this life, right? It's ninety percent. Uh, what we do with it. Some people have that reversed. It's ninety um, percent. What happens to us in life, and it's. 10% what we do with it. This is what he was uh, saying, and he gave an example. He said, uh, imagine that you um, have parents who are addicted to drugs. And this parent, these parents had two children. One child grows up to be a drug addict. And when asked, what happened to you? What happened to your life? This child will say, well... Well, look at my parents, you know. Um, and their perspective is this. It's 90% what happens to you in life. It's 10% what you choose to do with it, how you choose to interpret it, right? But another child grows up to be successful, start their own business, get married, have children. And when asked, 
how did you um, do this? How did you overcome this situation? How did you become successful the, the way that you did? And, and their answer would be, well, just look at my parents. And their perspective is, it's 10% what happens to you in life. It's, it's 90% what you choose to do with it, right? Um, now, this is a typical self-help, basically, argument. It's void of any kind of spirituality. It's just saying, change your perspective, right? Um, but there can be a spiritual element to this kind of, uh, of way of looking at things. And that is to say that if we knew that the hard things that we go through as Christians had a purpose and were for our good, right? It's pain with a purpose. You go to the gym and you tear your muscles. And when you tear your muscles, that's really what you're doing. They grow back stronger because they realize that they need to be stronger because they've gone under this kind of pressure. It's pain with a purpose. It's pain that's for our good. If we understood that the Christian life was about that, then we could have the perspective that says these bad things, these hard things that are happening to me in life, they're actually going to make me better, not bitter, right? Because they're doing something. They're not just making me a better person in general terms, but they're making me like my Savior Christ who suffered doing good. So, let's talk about it then. Our theme tonight is in Christ suffering For good has a purpose and is for our good. And I make this clarifying mark here because I'm not wanting us to think that it, just because life is hard or just because uh, somebody was mean to us, that always means that this is God putting suffering into our life, okay? Peter makes this clarification as well. He's talking about suffering particularly for holding on to the Christian faith, for holding on to the gospel. Suffering in particularly for not being willing to cave in on, their, uh, on your witness for Christ, on doing good, okay? Um, he's not saying, hey, if you do a bad thing and then somebody says, that was bad, you're in trouble for that. Oh, God, thank you for the suffering you've brought into my life. No, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. So, first point. Suffering as a blessing. Second point. Suffering as judgment. And then third point, suffering 
while we trust. Suffering as a blessing, suffering as judgment, and suffering while we trust. So let's look at this first point. It covers uh, the majority of the verses here, verses 12 through 16. Suffering as a blessing. Peter begins this section of his letter by saying, Dear friends, dear friends, this is meant to be something that is bringing comfort. Um, This is meant to be something that uh, is teaching his audience that there is something that they're going through, and Peter wants to bring uh, a comforting perspective in the midst of that. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Um, the word here, painful trial, is actually fiery ordeal. Fiery ordeal. This painful trial. As though something strange were happening to you. Even though we all inherently know that suffering is not natural. It's supernatural. Even though we all inherently know when suffering happens, it's life as it's not supposed to be, right? Peter here says... That suffering should not be surprising to us as Christians. As though something strange were happening to you, okay? I always wonder um, what health, wealth, gospel people do with this verse. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Well, according to their theology, that is something strange happening to you. Because it shouldn't be happening, Right? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter says we participate in Christ's sufferings. What does he mean by that? Is he saying, implying that somehow Christ's sufferings were incomplete, they were not full, they needed to be filled up by what the body of Christ is going through? No, what he's talking about here is that because we are united to Christ, because in, uh, earlier in his, in his letter he said we are the body of Christ, that we belong to the body of Christ, Peter's saying that union expresses that when we are suffering, it is as if. They are the sufferings of Christ. We are participating in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So, acknowledging that we are suffering as Christians for being Christians is something that should bring rejoicing into our hearts. It's something that we should be uh, glad for uh, because um, we're going to be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We're going to be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then he continues on. He says in verse 14, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter's giving a special privilege and honor to suffering as a Christian that he wants his audience to understand, he wants his audience to grasp, okay? And the reason why he's saying this 
And the reason why he's tying us so closely to what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through is that when Christ came into this world, he took on human flesh, he lived among us, he suffered like us, and he suffered for us by going to the cross, by being uh, accused of wrongdoings he did not do, by standing upon his testimony to his Father, Christ dignified suffering. Christ made suffering for the sake of Christ nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. And Peter even says that if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. And the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You are blessed for having been insulted because of the name of Christ. You are to rejoice because you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. That you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. But he makes a caveat here. A contrasting statement. If you suffer, it should not be because of sin. Basically, if you, shall, if you suffer, it should not be because of sin. It should not be because you're a murderer or a thief or any co- other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I kind of think it's funny that he's like, even as a meddler. I think what he's implying here is that there is a way that we can be so passionate and zealous about our Christian faith um, that uh, we, we can do it in a way that's not neighborly. You know, um, every uh, opportunity you get, um, you seek to, uh, you know, bring forward the gospel. And, and it's not sincere conversation. It's just forceful. Um, you know, you're, you're waking uh, your neighbor up in the middle of the night and say, do you know where you're going to go when you die? That kind of stuff, okay? That's meddling, I think. Or, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're not gossiping, but, you know, you're collecting information about the, the ways that your, your community is sinning. And so that whenever you see somebody, you can confront them and say, hey, don't you know that you can go to hell for that? You know, that's, I guess that's kind of how I look at meddling. It's a, in an intrusive way, um, a non unneighborly way of, of, of seeking to uh, testify for Christ, okay? But this is something that I want to clarify here. When Peter says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, what he's not saying is those who bring suffering into your life aren't calling you these things, right? I want you to think about... Um, uh, Nero, the emperor, one of the, the first um, very serious persecution of Christians. And Nero, he wanted to build some stuff in the city of Rome. And in order to do that, he had to, to get rid of some old buildings. Um, but the, um, the council would not let him do it. So you know what he did? He started a fire to burn those buildings down. 
and he blamed it on the Christians. So then he could take those Christians, he could impale them on spikes, dip them in oil, and light them on fire so they would light his garden parties at night. So, when Peter says, you should suffer as a Christian, not as a sinner, not as someone who's a murderer or a thief, what Peter is not saying is that people who want to hurt you aren't going to accuse you of those things. Think about it. That's the easiest way to start attacking people that you want to persecute. You dehumanize them. Right? You start calling them right-wing extremists who are anti-vax and anti-mask. Whoops. And then you can attack them. You can hurt them. So that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying we shouldn't actually be committing these things. And even if everybody else in the world says those Christians are murderers and thieves and liars and they take us and they burn us at the stake, our witness is God Almighty. And He knows that we have not done those things. He knows that we are suffering as Christians. That's why He says, Peter, in verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You bear the name of Christ. Like a badge of honor. And if that badge of honor brings hardship into your life, brings persecution into your life, brings a fiery trial into your life, that is nothing to be ashamed of. You're not going out there saying, I'm a Christian, come persecute me. You're living a faithful Christian life. You are living as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And this evil, cursed world that's broken and full of evil and wicked people, they don't want to see your light shine bright. They want to snuff it out because your light and your salt makes them feel like they shouldn't be here. It makes them feel like their sin. It convicts them. And they want to get rid of you. This is, this is the spirit of the age. This is what Peter's audience is experiencing. Right? Maybe even in this time, just this social awkwardness and difficulty. Maybe some businesses aren't letting Christians come and purchase things from their business anymore. Right? Maybe there's just whispers and rumors going on in the community, in the neighborhood. But it could lead to something else. And Peter wants his audience to know that if you suffer as a Christian, it is nothing to be ashamed about. If you suffer because you bear the name of Christ and you're living faithfully to God, you need to rejoice. You are blessed. You have the spirit of glory and of God resting upon you. And you need not be ashamed. So that's a blessing. Suffering is a blessing. What about suffering as judgment?
Verse 17 and 18. Peter then takes his argument in another direction. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Now, I have to be honest with you. I think that the NIV has not helped us on this translation, particularly with the translation on the painful trial instead of the fiery trial, fiery ordeal. And then here, uh, where it says to begin with the family of God, um, it's actually the house of God, this translation. Uh, in the Greek, that's the original Greek is the house of God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Uh, so the question arises, um, what exactly is Peter meaning by um, judgment beginning with the household of God. There's a couple passages that I wanted to uh, talk about that uh, scholars and commentators believe that Peter is pulling from and very well might be uh, uh, bringing together. And that's Ezekiel 9. And uh, Malachi 3. In Ezekiel 9, there is um, a prophecy about um, how God is going to judge the idolaters in Jerusalem. And this is, what, um, this is what is said there. The glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the riding kit at his side and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. So this is what um, the prophet Ezekiel is being told. There are um, faithful people in this city. And the faithful people are the ones who are mourning and grieving and lamenting over all the detestable, idolatrous things that are happening in this city. Okay? And it continues. As I listened, he said to the other, Follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men, maidens, women, and children. But do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. It's the same uh, wording used in the Greek Old Testament translation that is used um, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. It's time for judgment to begin at my sanctuary, okay? So they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. And so what is this saying? It's saying uh, Peter is drawing from Ezekiel chapter 9 in this um, imagery of judgment. And Peter is saying, well, we are, there's no longer a physical temple, but we, the people of God, are the new temple, right? We are living stones built together, like Peter has said in this letter, right? And Peter is saying, just like in Ezekiel chapter 9, when judgment began at the household of God, when judgment began at the temple of God, so it is in this um, redemptive aeon too. Judgment begins with us, not in the sense of condemnation, but the sense of a purifying fire, right? A refiner's fire. And that's where um, the language of Malachi 3 comes in, okay? 
But this is where Ezekiel, this is the language Ezekiel is talking about. In fact, it even says um, in verse 6, so they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. Well, at the end of this passage, you will find that Peter says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do God. Beginning at chapter 5, therefore, to the elders among you. Okay? So he goes straight to instructing elders, just like um, in Ezekiel, judgment began with the elders, right? But uh, in Malachi, uh, chapter 3, we get more of the, uh, the refiner's fire language, okay? In Malachi, chapter 3, we hear about uh, uh, the messenger who is to come, right? Verse 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 in Malachi. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And so this is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ is not only seen as a salvific coming, but also as a, a, a judgment. Uh, in the sense of a refiner's, a purifying fire, right? And, and this is what Malachi is saying. When Jesus comes, he's going to purify the Levitical priesthood. Now, I'm sure the Old Testament people who were reading it, the Jews that were reading it, are like, wow, he's going to come and he's going to renew the, uh, the, people, the tribe of Levi, right? But what actually happens is that we are called the priesthood, right, of kingdom and priests. We are those who, who, who uh, uh, give sacrifices to God of our lives. We bring offerings of praise, and so Peter, or Jesus comes as a refiner's fire to purify us so that we can be true worshipers of God, to bring God truly what he desires, those who worship in spirit and in truth. That's what Malachi chapter 3 is talking about. And Peter, using the language of a fiery trial in verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, the fiery ordeal that you are suffering. And then here talking about judgment beginning the family of God, judgment beginning with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What is Peter saying when he says judgment begins with us? Well, what he's saying is um, the eschatological end times judgment has broken in in Jesus Christ and is at work in the lives of the church. The church is already being judged in the sense of being purified in the sense of being cleansed, in the sense of having been washed, of having been uh, cleansed of the things that um, are, are, are sin that is in us, the flesh that's in us, the sinful desires that remain in us. This judgment has started with us, right? But what is God doing for the rest who are outside the church, for the rest who are um, not Christians, uh, 
unbelievers, right? What's happening uh, with their judgment? It's wrath that's being stored up. And every single sin that they commit is another bit of wrath stored up. Bowls full of it in Revelation get poured out. This is what awaits them, okay? So Peter is saying this. He's saying, listen, if what you Christians are experiencing now as suffering is a precursor of the judgment of God, and this suffering that we experience in Christ is, is for our good and has a purpose, right? Imagine, imagine what the outcome will be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. This is basically what Peter's saying. If you think this is bad. If you think this good thing that's happening in our lives is hard, imagine what's going to happen to those who do not obey the gospel. You know, sometimes people will ask me, how do you understand the book of Revelation, right? People don't like the word allegory. People don't like the word imagery, um, similes, metaphors, because they want the Bible to be literal. Well, the Bible is literal in the sense that it's literally there. But we have to understand the Bible the way the Bible is meant to be understood. And the thing that I find fascinating about the book of Revelation is that people want to turn these creatures that fly around in the book of Revelation into helicopters, and they want to turn um, all this imagery into something that's uh, grounded in real life, right? But this is what I want you to know. When, when John saw that vision, including the great and wonderful pictures of heaven, and including the great and wonderful outpourings of God's wrath, John was explaining something that was unexplainable. Which means the imagery that we see in Revelation does not even compare to the reality. Right? We like to talk about hell like it's a fire that never ends. A rotting, gross, garbage pit outside the city of Jerusalem that's on fire is the closest thing that Jesus could use to describe what hell is like. But hell is actually much worse. And Peter is saying, judgment has begun with us, the family of God. And in fact, when people who are not Christians see Christians who are suffering and being persecuted, they should see that as a precursor of the judgment that's coming for them in a much greater and much more painful experience. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then Peter quotes in verse 18 from Proverbs eleven thirty-one: If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What's Peter quoting that for? Because he's saying, look at how hard living for Christ is. Look at the suffering that we experience. Look at the hardships that we go through. Nobody becomes a Christian because it's an easy life. 
That might have been true one time at one point in America. It's not anymore. You don't have cultural credibility anymore because you're a Christian. You lose some. If it's hard for the righteous person to be saved, right? Then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, praise be to the Lord that what is impossible for man, God makes possible. Judgment has begun with us. God is using this judgment for our good to grow us into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. But this should be something that wakes up the world to see the suffering that Christians are experiencing now and to know that there is a suffering much greater um, that awaits them if they do not uh, obey the gospel. Suffering as we trust. Peter ends this passage with a word of encouragement. He says, those who suffer, key phrase here, according to God's will. Those who suffer according to God's will, that means those who suffer because they are being faithful um, to God, to his word. They are being faithful to Christ. They are upholding their testimony. They are being accused, or they are, they are suffering because they are a Christian. Right? Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. Continue to do good. Commit yourself Continue in good. Commit yourself means trust. It means entrust. Is that I-N or E-N? Anybody know? It means give yourself. It means give yourself over to God knowing that he is faithful. Gave yourself over to his care. You know, that's something that I have been trying to do on a more regular basis in my life. Acknowledge that I'm really not in control. Right? And hand myself, my wife, my children, over to the care of the one who really is in control. And when you're in the midst of hardship, fiery ordeals, persecution. When you're in the midst of uh, suffering as a Christian, when you're in the midst of being insulted because of the name of Christ, this is something you have to do. You entrust yourself to the one who judges rightly. This is what Christ did. This is what we do. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves, entrust themselves, have faith in their faithful creator, and continue in doing good. Don't give up doing good. There are so many stories of 
and Christians who are mistreated, persecuted, um, falsely accused. Christians who um, are put in jail because they're awaiting the day in which they will be brought out and uh, killed. Who treat their, impris- their prisoners, those who have imprisoned them, with care and love, appreciation, hold nothing against them, pray for them in the name of Christ, ask the Lord to bring them to salvation, show them love, that because they do this, those who imprison them are converted. Don't give up doing good because others have ceased doing good for you. Don't give up doing good because others believe that they are doing good by harming you as a Christian. Don't give up doing good because Paul tells us that our work is not in vain. That because we live forever, the things that we do in our body matter. Don't give up doing good because our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, even prayed for those who killed him on the cross. This is the model that we are called to do. We are going to suffer, but as we suffer, we are called to trust. Trust in the Lord. Trust that the suffering that we are experiencing now is something that we are doing in Christ, which means we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The suffering that we are doing now, because of doing good, because of living as a Christian, has a purpose. And is for our good because it is conforming us to the image of Christ. It's working in us. It's purifying us. It's refining us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us a great salvation, Lord, that you give purpose to our pain. You uh, make our suffering meaningful if we do suffer for doing good and suffer because of the name of Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would see this as a blessing. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know that the judgment that's being poured on us, out on us now has a purpose and is for our good to conform us to the image of Christ. We may share in his sufferings. The Lord, it is a, um, a living and breathing testimony and message um, to those who do not obey the gospel of God. The judgment is coming for them. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we suffer, whatever suffering may come into our lives, although we do not uh, seek it, we pray, Lord, that we would trust ourselves to you as our faithful Father and providential and caring Father, and that we would not give up doing good, that we would love you and love others. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to have this perspective on suffering in our lives, and that we might know that these things are working in us and refining us and purifying us for your sake and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.